All right, I think we might make a start because it is five o'clock and um, it's very warm in here, I know, isn't it? But um, you're going to be doing quite a bit of the work, I'm afraid. So it's a bit like a seminar come Bible study, looking at some case studies as well. Um, but let's uh, begin by praying. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, as we meet together as women this afternoon, we can be confident that you will speak to us through your word. And we do thank you that your word addresses uh, heart issues, your word addresses uh, things that we struggle with. And so we do pray that this afternoon, as we look at this subject of contentment, that you would speak to our minds, yes, but also to our hearts. And we do pray that our hearts would become more conformed to your image. And we do pray that you would help us to be women who exhibit contentment in whatever circumstances you have placed us, and that you would help us to uh, give glory to you and to point others to you as well. So we ask that you be with us in our discussions together this afternoon, and that you might give us clarity and that you might impress your truth upon our hearts. And we pray this for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but um, contentment is a subject that really intrigues me. I can remember reading those verses in Philippians 4 about learning the secret of being content in every and any situation many, many years ago and sort of thinking, I want to aspire to that. I want to be able to be a lady who is content. Well, I struggle to be content. I do struggle to be content. There are times when I want to have something new or I want to have something different. There are times when I actually want to be different. There are times when I'd like to possess different gifts or abilities. There are times when maybe I'd like to live somewhere else from where I'm living at the present time. And I expect you can identify with some of those feelings as well. We want to change our circumstances. We maybe want to change things in our families. We maybe want to change things in our relationships. And we maybe want to change things in our friendships. Often we are tempted to think that the grass is greener somewhere else. Change isn't all wrong, but I know when I'm seeking change because I'm discontent. I know when discontentment is showing itself as irritability or frustration, and that is sin. I am encouraged by what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. He says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And interestingly, the Apostle Paul is speaking out of a situation which you would describe as one of outward struggle. He's there in prison. He's talked about how others are preaching the gospel out of wrong motives, and he's experienced much suffering. And yet, he says that contentment is a lesson that he has learned. It is actually possible to be content whatever our circumstances are. Contentment isn't that elusive carrot that is dangled away from us, in front of us. It isn't a mirage 
that will disappear just as we think we're about to grab hold of it. Now, I'm going to read you an ex excerpt from uh, an email from a missionary lady. Um, she knows that I'm going to read it and uh, has given her permission. She writes about her circumstances, and uh, she writes with um, real... Uh, she's got such descriptive powers. So she says, um, Since our arrival, we have been warned about the hot season. And now it is here and in full swing. We've had up to 49 degrees centigrade on the thermometer, and the humidity is now increasing as the rains begin to approach. Hot season has also confirmed something for me that I think I already knew about myself, namely that as an adult, in many ways, I am a big child. The kitchen thermometer dares to mention to me at 6.30 a.m. that my kitchen is already 40 degrees. I try not to think about the fact that 46 degrees is my future in a few hours. I want to wash clothes, but with the hot season comes water rationing and the water peters out by 8 a.m. I have half-washed clothes in the machine, and you can only imagine what the toilets are like once the water goes off. Baking, baking with the children. She sieves and re-sieves and re-sieves the flour until the creepies have gone and she cracks the eggs with great care because for every one good one, there can be a bad one. Then she goes on to talk about skin, sore skin, whether that's head-to-toe rashes for small people or itchy bigger spots the older you get and then sleeping at night. The coolest room looks like a big slumber party. And then the cockroaches too. The cockroaches come into their own in the hot season and they particularly love the bathroom. And when the torch comes, they skitter in all directions. So she's describing something of her situation there. And the challenge, she says, is for her to choose joy. Each day I can choose thankfulness or I can choose to moan. How I need God's sufficient grace and a right perspective in my life. Each day, I want, with God's help, to choose thankfulness and count the gifts. So, she says, if you ever imagined glamour in this mission life, you can do away with it. And if you ever imagined any heroism on the part of the missionary, that is also ill-founded. I have my two-year-old tantrums, and I'm ashamed of them. But nevertheless, I have them. And as she's writing, she says, Dear people, I trust that you are able to find and choose joy where, where, the God, where the Lord has placed you and that you will thrive for him in those places. And I read that email not to make us feel better as we think about this lady's situation and think, well, thank goodness I'm not having to contend with that. Some of you do contend with that in your situations. So I'm not reading that to make us feel better or possibly proud that we don't have the same struggles, but to show the struggle we all face in different ways is to find contentment in our own set of circumstances, in the place that God has in his providence assigned for each of us. So what I want you to do uh, for four minutes, I want you to turn to the person next to you and I'm going to give you two minutes 
to, so one of you will be the first person who speaks, the other one will listen, two minutes to just explain to your partner what your outward circumstances are. And after two minutes, doesn't matter if you haven't finished, I will stop you and the other person will have the opportunity to explain what their outward circumstances are. Okay, off you go. Okay, if you would take a pause now. And I appreciate you've hardly got going in explaining your outward circumstances. But now, with your partner, have a little think and discuss together how you would define contentment. What do you think contentment is? Okay, you don't have to come up with you know, a great theological explanation. But just if somebody says to you the word contentment, what do you think it means? Okay. After that, maybe I should invite some of you up here to give the seminar. <laughs> right, last thing for you to do just at this stage, and this is for you to do on your own, okay? I want you to just think on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being contentment, how contented or how, how contented would you say you are, Okay. And you don't need to share that with anybody else. Right. I've read this book recently. It's called Chasing Contentment, Trusting God in a Discontented Age by Eric Raymond. And I'd really recommend it. Um, he draws a lot on the Puritan writings. So um, Jeremiah Burroughs has written... Um, the jewel of Christian contentment, um, and there are other Puritan writings that he quotes from as well, but it's much easier to read than reading one of the Puritan paperbacks. But great, uh, great book, very practical, very helpful. And his definition of contentment is that contentment is the inward, gracious, quiet spirit that joyfully rests in God's providence. And I wonder if there were some of those aspects that you were starting to pick up, up on as you were talking about contentment. It's written on your handout. I hope everybody's got one. If you haven't got a handout, they can be passed back. So I'll just read that again. Contentment is the inward, gracious, quiet spirit that joyfully rests in God's providence. And it struck me that there is a parallel with the inner beauty that we as Christian women should display. That inner beauty that is talked about in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 4, 
We're told that the beauty of one's inner self, it should be the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So contentment is not based on circumstances. It's not based on your outward circumstances. It's something that is inward. Secondly, contentment is a work of grace. And the Apostle Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. He said, so to keep me from becoming conceited, and this is the ESV, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So contentment is inward, Contentment is a work of grace. Contentment is also a matter of the heart and involves trust and acceptance and springs from and is centered on our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And in Psalm 131 The psalmist is writing and he says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with the things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quietened my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So the challenge comes to us then, how can we be satisfied in God regardless or in spite of what is going on around us? What should we do and what should we avoid? So let's have a look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6... Paul is writing about the false teachers, and I'll just read from verses 3 to 10. He says, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap 
and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So Paul is writing about these false teachers and he paints a very unflattering picture of them. They don't help people to love the truth. Rather, they rob us of the truth and they're saying that godliness will result in financial gain. We've already had prosperity teaching uh, um, mentioned and uh, this false teaching and its effect is not something only those who listen to prosperity preachers have to worry about. It's not something which affects those in the higher tax bracket or on the rich list. It's something that we all need to be aware of, even Christian workers and missionaries as well. A change in our bank balance or a change in our circumstances isn't what we need. Godliness is. So Paul issues a warning and an alternative in these verses. And I'd like you in your groups um, of four or five to have a look at the questions on the sheet and um, work through um, section A. So there are three questions there, and then there's one application question. So if you just spend about 10 minutes having a look at that. Okay, let's uh, have a little bit of feedback um, from that section. So if you'd like to just put your hand up and call out the answers. So this, this trap, and it's very um, graphic, isn't it, when you think of a trap that traps a, a, a wild animal. You know, it's hard to get out of. So this trap, thinking that uh, um, you can... Uh, uh, get contentment by pursuing financial gain or changing your circumstances. What does it result in, and who's designed this trap for us? Yeah. It's the devil, isn't it? Yeah, it's the devil. Yeah, he's designed this trap for us. Yeah, and, and what does it result in? Doing, doing what he wants, yeah, doing his work, yeah, yeah. And it's not a pretty picture, is it? Not a pretty picture at all. So on the other hand, what is the positive alternative? Godliness. Godliness, yes, yeah. And it results, is it a negative? No. Great gain, great gain. And if you think of things that give great gain, it's riches, it's, it's life, it's such positive things, isn't it? But we still think that we have a right to own things and we have a right to determine our future, we have a right to determine our needs. What does this passage tell us about our rights? We came with nothing. Yeah, we came with nothing. We've no right. We were challenging ourselves here and saying, no, but we still want to be more prosperous yeah. and carry 
Yeah. By the Israelites and their ways. Because whilst we would all like to live for Christ and die again, we're more than more like than we are for. Yeah, yes. And we yeah. still encourage that God will never ever forsake mm. us. Sorry if I've gone. No, no, no. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 We do. And how do we flirt with those things? Does anybody want to give any examples? <laughs> how do we? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Happy hormones, we need happy hormones. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and it actually tells us that he, he, he does give us things richly to enjoy. So we mustn't be down on the things that God gives us richly to enjoy. There are many, many good things that he gives us that help us to be content. Not all these things are wrong. But we do sometimes flirt with those desires, don't we? And we know in our hearts when we're doing it, when we're grabbing or we're wanting things or our minds are focused on the things that we know won't bring us this godliness with contentment, which is great gain. Okay, so how do we escape the devil's trap? So let's look at these verses um, in the rest of the chapter. So if you'll read along with me from um, verses 11... So this is advice to uh, Timothy and those under Timothy's care. Verse 11 says, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, And of Jesus Christ, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and and who lives in unapproachable light, to whom no, one ha- whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to be good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So Paul gives this advice to Timothy, and he says to him four things 
that we are to do very purposefully and actively to escape the devil's trap. In verses 11 and 12, he says, flee from all this, flee from the love of money, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life. So how do we do this? How do we very actively free from, flee from the love of money, pursue these good things, fight the good fight of faith, and take hold of eternal life? How do you seek to do that? Have a little chat together. Okay. I trust you were starting to earth some of those active verbs, fleeing, pursuing, fighting, and taking hold of. In verses 13 to 16, um, we're told what will keep us on the right track. And we're told that we, if we live in the sight of God, aware that he gives us everything, mindful of the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect life, that he under pressure gave a good confession, then we will be helped and motivated to right living. And we're to do that until Christ Jesus appears. So we're to live in the sight of God, but we're also to live in the sight or the light of eternity. And those two perspectives will help us to escape the devil's trap and to pursue godliness with contentment, which is great gain. Verses 17 to 19 tell us what the antidote is to being led astray by financial wealth and what the result is. And in those verses, we're told that we are to do good, that we're to be rich in good deeds. We're told that we're to be generous and willing to share And these things affect our time, they affect our hands, as well as our pockets and our purses. So we're to be looking out, we're to be thinking about how we can be rich in the things that actually please God. And the result will be great treasure and a firm foundation and life that is truly life, eternal life. So we need to actively put our hope in God And maybe you can think about uh, how in your groups, how can we actively put our hope in God and how can we seek to become more generous and willing to share with others, which is an antidote to being led astray by wanting our circumstances to change or wanting financial wealth. So have a little chat about that for a few minutes.
Okay, let's um, just think a little bit about what we've uh, covered already. So we've seen that the uh, de definition of contentment is an inward, gracious, quiet spirit that joyfully rests in God's providence. And we've seen that to pursue um, riches or changing outward circumstances won't give us godliness with contentment, which is great gain. We've been warned against that, and we've seen what the alternative is. We've been given helpful instructions on how to escape the devil's trap, to actively flee, to pursue good things, to fight, and to take hold of eternal life. And we've seen an antidote as well. An antidote in serving others, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Now, on the reverse side of your handout, there are a few um, scenarios. And um, I'm going to read these out and um, then uh, ask you to pick which one you'd like to have a little discussion about. And um, I think I... Right at the beginning, I said contentment is something that I struggle with. Um, I can't say, as the Apostle Paul has said, that I've learned to be content in any and every situation. Um, and these scenarios just describe some situations that I identify with, that are part and parcel of my life and some of the struggles that I face, and maybe you identi can identify with them as well. So the first one is a single woman missionary, a very little fellowship. She lives on her own. People knock at her door often. She feels squeezed in her heart and mind and sees needs all around her. She feels overwhelmed and starts to daydream about relaxing and being pampered. She spends time on the internet looking at hotels and holidays that she knows she can't afford. And she wastes time on Facebook coveting the lives of her friends back home. And the question is, what advice would you give her as a result of what you've learned from God's word this afternoon? The second one is a married woman who is resentful of her husband's busyness in kingdom work. And she's overwhelmed with the demands of a young family. She daydreams about life back in the UK, where she's near family and friends, and she becomes short-tempered and critical, but when she's with nationals, presents a bright and breezy countenance. Her personal devotions are few and far between. How would you counsel her as a result of today's study? And then the third one is a woman who is near retirement and planning for re-entry, and knows she'll face much change and see friends whose lives have taken a very different course. How should she protect her heart and mind from discontent as she returns from her place of service that has become her home and the people who have become family to her? So what I'd like you to do in your groups, you know, we're not going to have time to go through all of them, but is just to pick one and to maybe think through some, how you would apply some of the principles that we've talked about today, if that's okay, all right? And um, we won't feed back on it, but um, hopefully, um, in God's goodness, the truth from his word will have spoken to each one of our hearts, um, and we'll go away with some more ammunition to flee, to pursue, 
to fight, and what was the last one? Take hold of the eternal life, okay? I'm sorry, ladies, to draw your discussions to a close. I do uh, hope and pray that you found it stimulating. And I think one of um, our desires in having this session was that it would enable us to be able to share perhaps a little bit more deeply with one another um, and to be able to minister to one another in, in the struggles that we face. So um, do carry on the conversations that you've uh, been having and um, do pray uh, for one another as well. And um, let's pray now. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We do thank you that uh, you know our hearts, you know our circumstances, you know the things that we struggle with. You know the things that uh, are challenges to us. And you also know the way in which uh, the devil would want to sow seeds of discontentment in our lives. And we do pray that you would help us to be women who uh, bring uh, our struggles to you in prayer, to know that you are merciful and that you are kind and that you are gracious and that you are forgiving and to also know that you give us all that we need for life and for godliness. And so we do pray that whatever circumstances that we are in, that we would fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would be the one who is our hope, that he would be the one who is our goal, and that he would be the one that we want to serve. We do pray that we would be women that exhibit that uh, inner beauty, that we would have gracious and quiet spirits and that we would be those who are content even if in your providence you allow certain difficulties and hardships to come into our lives. So we do pray that we might depend upon the grace that you give us and that we might know all the help that we need. So we do thank you for our fellowship together this afternoon and we pray that you would continue to bless us now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.